welcome to uh, Ramp Church. Well, I'm saying welcome to me, really, because I'm visiting with you all. I am so excited to be here, and I feel so honoured to be here with the incredible Joe and Stacey and the entire Ramp Church family. We're going to have an amazing time for uh, this little while that I've got to be with you. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. And last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. In fact, two weeks ago was Pentecost Sunday. And we're going to carry on in Acts chapter 2 in this series that you guys are in. And I'm so excited to be a part of this series and really feel that God's going to use these preachers to really help you where you are at to take your next step in living a life of loving and leading people to Jesus. If you're writing notes, then today this message is called Loving and Leading loving and leading. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2. My name's Judah and I'm married to Rachel. We've got two children. We live in Liverpool and I'm a Mancunian. I support Manchester United. That's right. And um, so it's great that I get to be here with you all. So Acts chapter 2 says this, when the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it goes on and describes a whole bunch of people from all over the world. And then in verse 14, it says this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Peter then goes on to use Old Testament scriptures and he proclaims and preaches and lifts up one name the name of Jesus. There is only one hope for your council estate. There is only one hope for the city of Manchester. There is only one name we want to lift up. And when Peter stepped out onto the streets in Jerusalem, over the city and over the people that were gathered, he lifted up the name of Jesus. And that began the journey of the church. I want to back up a little bit and begin in the upper room. Jesus said to them, wait, stop. Many of them were feeling disillusioned, discouraged, despondent because um, of the, the rubbish and the trouble that they'd been through as they'd watched the journey of Jesus going to the cross. Jesus then rose again and here in the upper room, they are waiting I want to tell you a little story about the power of waiting. 
I heard a story uh, a while ago of a man in the Second World War, a man who would put a parachute on his back and along with his regiment, he would fly over France and he would be dropped out of a plane at different planes at different times and he would land in enemy territory with a gun ready to kill whoever they found. One night, this man put on a parachute and scary, I'm not sure I could do it, but he would he jumped off a plane and he ended up landing in a huge uh, manor house. He landed in a place that was a German stronghold. They ended up landing and because of the noise that they made, the Germans, these were um, not just German army men, these were high up generals and officials that were based at this mansion, this manor house. These Germans began to come out of the house to see what the noise was because unfortunately they'd end up ended up making a load of noise and this soldier this soldier that I heard about made a choice he ran to the wall of the manor house by the windows where the Germans were looking out and he waited he just stood still this is unfortunately a sad story because the Germans came out and this guy Every single one of his comrades were killed. They were all killed. They were all killed because they'd ran. They didn't wait. They ran. They ran for cover. They ran to escape out of the manor gardens. They ran to try and get to the nearest village and they were all killed. The next morning, because this man waited, he was able to walk to freedom. And he lived for many years to come and in that story I realized that sometimes there is a power in waiting when everything's going against us we need to be like these apostles and we need to learn that it's in the waiting that we grow in our ability to receive what God has for us if you've ever watched football if you like match of the day if you like uh, watching football and at the end on a Saturday night as you watch match of the day you get to kind of re-watch all of the games through the day you kind of get the commentators and you get perspective about the games that happened during a Saturday and what's interesting in Acts chapter 2 is that further on in the New Testament we get writers like the Apostle Paul that look back and they give a commentary, they give an analysis on what happened in Acts chapter 2. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 5, it tells us something really, really important. It says that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. In the upper room, it wasn't just that it was the Holy Spirit that was flowing into the room. The Holy Spirit, he was pouring into both the room and into the lives of the apostles, the undiluted, powerful, transformative love of God. You see, the love of God is fire. The love of God, it breaks us free from fear of man. The love of God, it breaks us free from our depression. The love of God, it helps those that are powerless find fresh power. The love of God, it takes us from our darkness and it brings us into light. The love of God, it 
is an experience, but it is truth. The love of God is a fire that cleanses us from when we have denied Jesus like Peter. The love of God is refreshing and it is flowing and it brings healing and health and wholeness. And those disciples in the upper room, they experienced the tangible, overwhelming love of God. The love of God. They didn't just experience the love of God, but they flowed out onto the street. I don't want to be motivated by anything other than the love of God. Sometimes I've asked a question. It's a question that people often ask my wife and I because we talk a lot about the love of God. People often say, what's the best way to experience the love of God? What's the best way to know more of God's love? What's interesting is that for 40 days prior to the disciples being in the upper room, they'd spent many, many hours with Jesus who after he'd resurrected, he taught them from the scriptures and better helped them understand who he was, his values. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus explained to them from the Bible who he was and his mission for their lives. This is what was happening. Jesus was filling them with the word of God so that when the Holy Spirit came, he was able to light a fire on the word of God that was in their hearts. You see, if you want to know the presence of Holy Spirit, then so often as charismatics, and if we want to be good Pentecostals, we pursue the fire of Holy Spirit, we pursue the presence of God. And yet what we see here is people who'd learned to allow their hearts to be filled with the word of God. When we are filled with the word of God, that's when the Holy Spirit comes and he's able to then use the word in us to reveal God's love to us and through us. And so here was a people filled with the word of God who were now on fire because they'd experienced the love of God. What's interesting is that Peter didn't stand up in the upper room That's what I would have done. I'd have stood up in the upper room and I'd have said, right now, I'm going to turn to Joel chapter 2. Get your Bibles out. Right now, I just want to ask, has anyone here ever given their lives to Jesus? Peter didn't stand up in the upper room. Peter went out onto the street. He went public and he went into the place where other people gathered. That's what it means to be missional. It's to go public. Often we think of evangelism as where it's about me and it's about my ability to go and lead people to Jesus. But what we see here is the church on the street. We need to get rid of our individualistic mindsets that says it's about Church is where we gather together and then missional life is about me and my ability to transform the world. Peter, he stood up in public with a group of people who were committed to loving him and him loving them. And it was together that he lifted up the name of Jesus. For me, 
I've understood that it's not about me and my ability to lead people to Jesus. It's about us as the church together on the streets, in our workplaces, in wherever God calls us, loving and leading people to Jesus. I want to talk about three things as the people who were in the upper room went onto the street. Three things that happened. Number one, as they went out onto the street, they went out and they took with them the tangible presence of Holy Spirit. It was the presence of Holy Spirit that they were hosting as a church on the street. Many years ago, Rich and I had the privilege of planting our first church in Salford, And I remember every single Saturday, we would go to Salford Shopping Precinct. We would take uh, flowers and chocolate, and we would go and meet local people. And I remember one Saturday just studying this passage and thinking, what would happen if we began to host the presence of Holy Spirit on the street? What would change as people walked into an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit was active and present? And so we asked one of our musicians if they would get a guitar. And a guy called Luke Nelson, you may know. And we said to Luke, Luke, don't perform worship. Don't perform worship. He began to worship that first Saturday when we were just learning what it is to be church on mission, church in public. And the minute I was talking to someone here, I was just talking outside Tesco to a lady. And as I heard behind me, worship, suddenly the atmosphere changed around me. I remember that first time people would stop and cry. We'd go up and say, hey, how are you doing? They'd say, I don't know why I'm crying, but there's something about this music. Because the Holy Spirit was beginning to manifest around us. You may be saying, well, Judah, that's great when you're on the street, but what about in my workplace? If you're in your workplace, try this. When you can and uh, space allows, put some worship music. Be intentional about creating a space for the Holy Spirit to dwell, host his presence in your workplace. You may say, well, Judah, I'm not allowed to play that kind of worship. You see, for me, it starts before there's music. It starts with an attitude and a prayer from the heart. There have been many times when we've had no musician, but we've rocked up into a space in a town or a city, and we've stopped and we've said, right now, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence Right where you are at your desk in work, you can say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I want to host your presence in my place of work. In Acts chapter 2, it was the presence of Holy Spirit that attracted the crowds. There were no seeker-sensitive crazy lights flashing. There was no smoke or fog machine. It was the tangible, pure, undiluted presence of Holy Spirit. And he is still in the business of drawing people to us through his presence. We've seen many incredible things happen as we've hosted God's presence on the streets. There's been times when I've had uh, this kind of fire feeling in my hands and I've thrown balls of fire at people walking away from me. They couldn't see me and they've just spun around like what's just happened to me because 
we get to host the presence of Holy Spirit on the street. We've seen many people begin to manifest. Demons in people begin to scream because the Holy Spirit is active and the enemy hates the presence of Holy Spirit. More than the presence of Holy Spirit, I believe when those people who gathered from nations all over the world came into contact with those 120 believers, they would have encountered the tangible love of God, the love of God. In fact, in that moment, it was not just the presence of Holy Spirit, but I believe they would have been aware of a tangible love, a love that would have flowed afresh between the believers because it's not just suddenly the Holy Spirit filled each of them with a fresh love that would have allowed them to have a fresh love towards God, but they'd have had a fresh love to each other. And as the crowds gathered, they'd have been aware of this love that was flowing uh, between the disciples, and it would have been overwhelming. The number one thing that we do when we go onto the streets or into venues is we say we want to love people. We want to love people. If you think evangelism is hard, then I want to tell you, I don't like that word. In fact, we don't use that word. We like to talk about loving people. Loving people. You can do this. You can use the creativity that God has given you. You can use the gifts that God has given you. And you can think of fresh, creative ways to simply love people. Love people. That might mean making cupcakes and taking them into work. That might, might, that might mean um, being the one that is first to make a cup of tea for your people uh, in your hospital or school or workplace. Loving people. Very often, loving people simply means listening to people. Giving people the gift of you. Giving people the gift of your time. Giving people the gift of you. You may have money and it might be that you go to home bargains and you buy a whole load of chocolate and you say, I'm just going to bless my street and give them all chocolate. And when they ask why, I will look into their eyes and say, because God loves you. For us over the years, our goal is to love people, to love people, whether it's um, we um, raise money and we often have hired the best uh, fanciest venues we can and then we will go and we will find the most broken lost people in our city we will go and get prostitutes and drug addicts and um, pedophiles and anyone and everyone that we can find and we will take them from their hostel we will go and pick them up from the street then we will bring them into a venue and we will love them extravagantly we put out red carpet we get over a hundred volunteers from different churches and we cut their hair and we pamper them and we give them new clothes and we treat them like royalty we want them to know God's extravagant love our goal is to love people. Normally, on a week-to-week basis, we go into the centre of Liverpool, we put out a simple table. There isn't any tracts. There's no sign saying the name of our church. Nothing. The only thing on the table is two flasks with water, some coffee, tea, and a plate with some donuts or sandwiches. And when people come by, we don't tell them 
we're a church, we just say, would you like a drink? And when they say, well, who are you? What are you about? We say, we are here because we just want people to know that God loves you. And we serve people and we listen to people. And we have seen atheists, as we have held their hand, begin to cry as they experience electricity through their body. And suddenly they're aware God loves them and he is real. We've had people come to us angry because the preacher down the street said, you're going to burn, you're going to die, you're going to go to hell. And we've listened to them. And we've simply said, tell us about your life. And we've given them the gift of time. And then we've been able to hold their hand and for them to experience the tangible love of God. You see, this is one thing I've known It's the love of God that will open people's hearts to the person and message of Jesus. The love of God is the way through which we are able to love and lead people to Jesus. There is no other way. It doesn't stop there. I don't believe that those that gathered in Acts chapter 2 on the street were aware of God's presence and God's love. But then Peter stands up. Peter stands up and he preaches Jesus. He preaches Jesus. It's incredible we get to love people. But it's really important that we remember that the purpose of loving people is to point them to a person and his name is Jesus. We are called to lift up the name of Jesus. And what's incredible is that Peter, he used the word of God. He preached from the Bible and he gave the gospel. He gave the gospel and he taught about the gospel. And you may be saying, well, Judah, I often hear this word gospel. I've been to church for 25 years and all I ever hear is the word gospel. And you may be saying, but Judah, what is the word gospel? What does it actually mean? If anyone ever asks you that question again, then you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, And I'm going to tell you what the gospel is because here Paul actually explains it. And I'm a pastor and I'll tell you a secret. For years I was like, gospel, gospel, why do people keep saying the word gospel? What is the gospel? I'm going to tell you. 1 Corinthians 15. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, here we get to it. For I see you receive what I passed on to you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but for whom some have fallen asleep. And what we see here is that Jesus, fully God, fully man, came down to earth. He lived a life of perfect love in union with his father. And then he died on the cross. The reason he died is because of sin. Sin is 
where we are in control of our own lives. Sin is where we try and we often even do good things, but it's all in the effort of trying to improve our lives. It's all as a selfish pursuit to trying to uh, do things in control and Sin is a problem because when we sin, it not only cuts us off from God, but it leaves us headed towards death. It leads, leaves us in a place of darkness. And so Jesus, he died on the cross in order to get rid of your sin, but then he rose again. And today he is alive and, and in heaven. Peter, he preached the gospel at the start of this talk, I said that today I want to talk about loving and leading. Loving and leading. You see, what I find incredible, and the fact, the difference, the key difference between the church staying at 120 and the church growing to 3,000, the difference was not in Peter's message. You see, Peter could have preached the gospel, this message of salvation, and the truth is, the church could have gone back into the upper room and stayed at 120. The key was not only in Peter preaching Jesus. The key was that Peter led people to Jesus. Peter, it says, pleaded with the crowd, turn from trusting in yourselves, repent, put your trust in Jesus. The key to go from 120 to 3,000 is leadership. We are called to not just love people. We're not even called to just tell people about Jesus. We're not called to even just preach the gospel. We're called to lead people to Jesus. Over the years, um, having the privilege of planting three churches and, and, and being on the streets um, a lot and, and being able to talk with many thousands of people is that over the years, I've developed, I've developed a short, simple sentence a question that helps me to understand where people are at. I will ask people, I will say these words, have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? Usually at the point that I say these words, they've already got a cup of coffee in their hands. They very often already had prayer where when people have said, yes, I would like a drink, and I've been able to simply look into their eyes and say, God loves you. And usually by this point, someone has already received prayer where I've just held their hand and prayed a simple prayer that says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in the life of this person. And I'm at a point now where I'm cutting to the point of this time I have with this person. And I'm saying, have you ever asked Jesus into your life? Very often people will say, I'm an atheist, I'm a Catholic. Oh, I go to church. I'm not negative. I don't judge people. I don't say how terrible, repent. I thank them. I thank them that they'd be willing to be honest and share where they're at 
with me. But for most people, the way they answer the question helps me to understand that they do not have a living relationship with Jesus on the inside. And so I will then go on and say to someone, did you know that Jesus, that he came 2,000 years ago, that he died on the cross for your rubbish, for your sin, for your shame, for your pain, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And did you know that right now he wants to come into your life He wants to get rid of the rubbish, sin, shame, pain. And if you will ask him into your life, he will clean you. He will then fill you with his love. And if you are willing to put your trust in him, he will live in you. And he is trustworthy and you can trust your life with him. And he will give you his life and he will give you his love. And you can know his peace in your life and you can become a new person. I then ask a second question. Right now, would you like to ask Jesus into your life? Sometimes people say, I'm not ready. And if they say that, I will give them a response. And sometimes people, as I'm holding their hands and as I'm looking into their eyes, they will say, this is it. I am ready. Recently, I spoke to a guy. He was a big, like a big guy. He could have like taken me out. He was in a mess. He'd been on cocaine. He'd been in prison and he was at the end of himself. And he was in a conversation with me. I'd prayed for him and I was holding his hands and he, he could feel the presence of Holy Spirit. And I said to him, right now, will you surrender your life to Jesus? You see, in that moment, and this is something I've discovered, there was no point in a wishy-washy prayer and a half response because for him, he knew that if he didn't sort his life out, he knew that if he didn't fully surrender to God, he could be dead in a ditch. He understood that this was everything. He understood that this was a moment where he had to truly surrender. We need people to understand that it's not just adding Jesus into an already full life. This is about saying you will be dead and you are having a new life, but it's a life with a purpose. It's a purpose to know the love of God, to trust in Jesus and live a life of letting his love flow through you. And whether you are a doctor or homeless, whether you are a stay-at-home mum or whether you are a pilot, you can know his love flowing through your life. This guy who was on cocaine, as I was holding his hand, I was able to lead him in a prayer. If someone says, Judah, I don't want to give my life to Jesus right now, then I would actually say the same thing as to the person who's ready to give their life to Jesus. Many people have said, I'm not ready yet. And I will say, okay, I'm going to give you a tool. I'm going to give you some prayer that you can pray when you are ready. And we've heard of people that have gone home and they've given their lives to Jesus in their own time when they're ready. But I've given them a tool. I've given them a way that they can respond to Jesus. 
There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. But if we read Acts chapter 2, Peter tells the people that he's leading to Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, Peter says, then you need to repent. To turn away from living life in your own strength. And you need to turn to Jesus. To trust in him. To declare him as the Lord of your life. As Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says. And so... If I'm holding someone's hand, you know, there's been times when it's a Saturday at 12 o'clock, I'm hungry, I'm stood outside some place, uh, some town somewhere, and there's a Sainsbury's here, and there's a Greg's here, and I'm smelling the Greg's sausage roll, I'm thinking about the fact that there's TV on, on Saturday night, and I know Rachel will want to watch such a program, and I'm thinking, I don't want to watch that program, I'm thinking about the fact that in an hour and a half, my kid needs to get to drama, I'm thinking about the reality of life, and just the fact that I'm a normal guy with bills to pay, and at the same time, I'm holding the hand of a man who is going to give his heart to Jesus, You see, I'm not super spiritual and neither are you. We are normal people called to love people and lead people to Jesus on a normal Saturday when life is busy and there's drama and there's bills and there's curry to make for the uh, takeaway that we're going to have on Saturday night. There's real life and in the middle of real life, we are called to love people, to hold their hand and lead them to Jesus. And so as I hold people's hands, I lead them in a prayer that says something like this, Jesus, Jesus. In fact, right now, if you've never prayed this prayer, you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. Jesus, I'm sorry for living life in my own strength. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Jesus, I pray that you would wash me clean. Jesus, I pray that you would fill me with your love. Jesus, I pray that you would fill me with your eternal life thank you Jesus you know you can do this at your workplace as you're sat on your desk with the person next to you you can do this at a bus stop you can do this wherever God takes you wherever life leads whatever normal day-to-day routine you have you are called to love people and to lead people to Jesus. I started with a story of a man, a man who in the Second World War, he waited. He waited, and because he waited, he survived a night where all his uh, comrades, his other soldier friends died, and he survived, and he got to live and he came back to England and he ended up uh, growing, uh, getting married and and kind of working. And he moved, uh, he lived in a place called Manchester and that guy lived to be 89 years old. 
That guy was my grandpa. He was my granddad. I am only here because of the power of waiting. I am only here because of someone who was willing to wait. A few years after that moment, my grandpa got powerfully saved in a kids club in a Methodist chapel in the middle of Manchester. He ended up reading the Bible, believing in miracles and seeing people with cancer get healed and people with no eyes getting eyes. My grandpa ended up starting a church in the bottom of his garden in Wally Range that grew to be a church of hundreds. And my grandpa, from the day I was born until the day he died, he prayed for me. I am only stood here because of the power of waiting. I want to finish with this. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know why I should read my Bible. You've taught Judah about how the Holy Spirit fills the people with the love of God when they're filled with the love of God. But, but you might be thinking, Judah, I've lost my passion for being in the presence of God. I've lost my passion to just wait in the word. I've lost my why. You see, the reason why you are called to wait in his presence, the reason why you are called to wait in the word each day is not just for you, but it's for the people that you're going to meet. It's for the spiritual heritage that you are investing in. It's for the people that you may never meet until you get to heaven. You are not just waiting in the presence of God for you. This is 2021. My grandpa waited by the wall, not knowing that because he waited, he would have an effect for generations to come because of the power of waiting. If you've got bored, if you've kind of thought, you know what, I, I've missed a week of reading my word and being in the presence of God and I'm alive. No one's died. I haven't had an abortion or I haven't got into addiction or I haven't gone off the rails. And so I'll just have another week, another week where I miss being in the presence of God. I want you to stop, to surrender and to begin to wait because there is power in waiting. And there are people who are depending on your ability to stop and to wait in the presence of God. The Bible says that we wait, and it's in the waiting that we know God. There is an ability to know God, to understand who he is, to grasp the depths of his love that will only come to those who wait. To those who wait, they will soar and run like eagles, and the church in order for us to be missional, we have to learn to wait. And then it's we wait, we know the love of God. And the most important verse in the entire Bible is the verse that Paul uh, gives in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul sums up the entirety of his life's work, all these letters that he wrote. And he says, the only thing that matters... The only thing that matters is trust in Jesus in order to then live a life of love. Holy Spirit, we thank you.
that you are here. I can feel your presence so tangibly. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to stop if we're in despair, despondent, discouraged, that as we wait, that we would remember we're not just waiting for us, we're waiting in order for the world to know your love.